morning. Morning, everyone. Um, hope you're having a good morning. All right, it's reconnected. I learned of this great thing that makes it uh, really easy for me to do these things in my car in the morning. Um, it's called like the heat. If I turn the heat on in my car, it's weird. It makes it really comfortable to do that. Um, there was a couple mornings I came out here and started to like get ready and I'm like, I'm freaking freezing, man. I can't do this. And then I had this novel idea to turn the heat on. <clears throat> so basically I'm a moron. Anyway, uh, got a couple things I wanted to talk about. Don't know how much of it I'll get through, but some interesting things in the news. And uh, anyway, I wanted to kind of share my thoughts on it with you. So originally last night I was about to hop on here and I, st I realized what time it was. I'm like, I'm not gonna let it get dark again. So I didn't. Um, but speaking of it getting dark, uh, at that moment, whenever I had that realization, Justin Trudeau, the news about him doing an Aladdin outfit with brown face came on, and I was pretty excited to see his apology for that. Um, here's the deal. I don't, no one cares, I don't think. I The, the first news outlet that released um, any like update to my phone about it was Huffington Post, and I immediately went to their Twitter to look at like when they tweeted out the article. And like all of the comments were don't care don't care don't care don't care don't care and that's fine people I don't think really should I mean this is in 2001 so it's like 18 years ago he was doing an Aladdin costume but it's kind of similar to the thing with Ralph Ralph Northam in Virginia the governor there who did a blackface and seemed like everyone in Virginia came out and said they also did blackface you know it's one of those things where it's like People don't really care, but if you're of a certain ideological perspective, then they do care. And since Justin Trudeau has the correct perspective, people don't care. Uh, I watched his apology uh, video this morning on on his airplane, and one of the reporters asked him, "Have you ever done anything like this before?" And he <laughs> he said that whenever he was in high school, he did a talent show. And he sang Deo by Harry Belafonte. And he also did that with makeup on. And then, like, the video cut off. But it's like, well, Harry, Harry Belafonte was black. So that means, so makeup on is a euphemism for blackface. And he sang Deo. And again, it's like, you know, no one really cares. But, you know, if this was, um, like, Lindsey Graham or Ted Cruz or something like that, you know the pitchforks would be out. And that's fine. You know, that's that's politics. It is what it is. But I was just thinking about like how we're constantly learning about these new and contrived, you know, symbols of white supremacy, like the trying to reconnect. Okay, um, like the Betsy Ross flag, and or like the OK sign and stuff like that. And so there's all these new contrived things. Well, if you squint really hard, then this is a white supremacist thing. Um, so it seems like. If it's like a conservative or someone who could even be construed as a conservative, like Dave Rubin gets this stuff a lot, and that dude's not even close to conservative, um, then you kind of will contrive things. But if it's someone who's not, if they have the right poor wireless connection, man, I don't have, I'm not on wireless. This is nonsense. Anyway, um, so regardless, but if you have the right ideology, then it's like, no, we don't care. Like, it's fine. Even something that is like overtly racially charged, um, 
then it's no big deal because you have the right ideology. But whatever, you know, it's that's just the, the way politics are today. Um, also, speaking of that, I know the Kavanaugh stuff has been in the news. My only two cents on this, there's been a lot of people. On oh my gosh, I don't know why it keeps disconnecting. Um, anyway, I'm not even on Wi-Fi. Regardless, thanks Zuckerberg. Uh, the only thing I would say about the Kavanaugh thing is just look up. There's a reason why it's receding back from the news um, so quickly. It's because the New York Times botched uh, their story pretty bad. And so there's a reason why it is. What's frustrating to me is I'm not surprised by, you know, like Young Turks and stuff doing new things on Kavanaugh and whether or not he should be impeached or something like that doesn't surprise me. But it is disappointing to see certain like political candidates um, coming out and saying, no, we have to impeach Brett Kavanaugh based on this and this. And it's like the New York Times even admitted they screwed this up. CNN ran a piece saying, man, the New York Times is screwing up a lot of stories lately. Like, there's a reason this isn't getting any coverage after like three or four days. And so to see these some of the political candidates in the recent primaries coming out and just saying, we have to impeach because it's kind of opportunistic and it's a popular kind of line. Like, I get them saying they want to impeach just like blatant dishonesty and character attacks, like based on this botched New York Times thing. Like, so that's a little frustrating. So I guess I would just say before you support a candidate who says that or before you're like, yeah, we need to get this guy out of here, just look at the details of the story. Um, there's been, like CBS, I think it was CBS, did a piece on it and like why this didn't get printed in the New York Times like news section because they're like, this isn't, goodness gracious. Um, I don't know why I'm like, I'm not on Wi-Fi. Freaking Mark Zuckerberg. Um, Anyway, so that's my only thoughts on the Kavanaugh thing. Just look it up. Just look up. The, I can put a link to some of the um, articles that have been written and videos that the original people who are writing the book that the Times was commenting on where they're like, we left in the vital information. For some reason, New York Times left it out, and that's what's caused this big thing. Um, anyway, so a couple other things before I got to bounce. Oh, my gosh. So uh, evidently... Donald Trump is talking about getting the EPA involved in San Francisco's homelessness uh, crisis and saying that it's a, you know, it's they're it's ruining the reputation and prestige of our cities and stuff. Like that's cynical. Like, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, San Francisco has a homelessness crisis, but threatening to get the government involved, you know, kind of like the stuff with the vaping thing. It's it feels a little against principles, you know, if conservatism or Republican Party. Oh gosh. Oh man. It's supposed to be about small government then. It's like, okay, why are you threatening to get the them involved? Like, do you really care about San Francisco or are you just wanting to get at the people that piss you off? Which I get it. Um, San Francisco does have a big problem. And that kind of leads me to the well, like one of the stories I was going to talk about this morning. I think I'll only have time to cover this one and I won't be able to cover the other one. But like San Francisco, they were in the news all last summer. They hired like six people I think it was for this it was like poop patrol they spent like hiring people to uh just clean up human feces and needles like there's an app that you that in the city where you can report hey no there's crap and needles on this corner send someone from the poop squad or whatever to come and take care of it like that's crazy so they've been I think appropriately blasted for the 
enormous problem that's getting out of hand and clearly like no one's going hey our solutions aren't working maybe we should do something different but whatever like anyway so Donald Trump's threatening to get the EPA involved San Francisco had the first that their new mayor was asked after she was elected was about like poop and on the streets and needles um, on the streets so that's a problem but just the other day, LA was in the news. Uh, there was a piece, I think either Huffington Post or CNN ran it about a Yale graduate who was homeless. And so it was illustrating how crazy the homeless crisis is in Los Angeles that someone who went to Yale would also be like on the streets. And so then they had a bunch of, there was like a whole column of different articles about LA's homelessness thing. And one of them was an, was an op-ed from this past June. I don't know why it keeps disconnecting saying that. Like, I'm not on Wi-Fi, but anyway, it's kind of frustrating. Regardless, so the op-ed was by a dude named LZ Granderson. I've read some other stuff by uh, LZ's pretty common um, frequent contributor on CNN um, in their op-ed section, and I've seen him do panels on there before. Uh, anyway, so he writes this piece, and it's called, In LA's Homeless Crisis, The Skid Row is Everywhere. And it was written last June, like I said, and it starts off fairly reasonably, and then it moves out of that territory, and you'll understand why here in a minute. Um, so he starts off by saying, many are angry and wondering why government officials have been unable to solve the homelessness crisis in Los Angeles. LA spent nearly 620 million in tax dollars last year to address the issue, and yet the number of homeless people increased by 16%, reaching 60,000 people. Now that alone should be the, like the crux of the article of like, okay, why is six hundred and twenty million dollars not solving it? Like that's enough for more than a living wage in this situation. So, yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. But anyway, he continues. As a Los Angeles resident, I am among those who wonder what the mayor's office is doing. When I lived downtown, it was virtually impossible to walk a full block in any direction without seeing a homeless person. In Silver Lake, where I live now, there are tent cities. On my drive to work, I see people living underneath the highway overpass. It's no longer Skid Row here. The Skid Row is everywhere. So that starts off pretty reasonable. At least he's saying, like, look at this problem. Look how much money they spent. Like, where is it going? This, And he's addressing a problem. But then he continues. He says, but you know what else is everywhere? Churches. And therein lies the rub. It's like, okay, all right, well, you know, I'm, I'm still interested. Where are you going with this? And so he starts to talk about the decline of religion in America and how the number one religion that people identify with now is none. Um, and he gives kind of some advanced rebuffs of the criticism of like, well, maybe it's because the reason religion is declining and people aren't going to church as much is because he, he says, because or abortion or just anything that could be lumped in with cultural decline or moral decline. Um, and he says, so, but to that, to those criticisms, to saying, well, that's why people aren't going to church anymore. Uh, he says, I would simply point my finger at the other national story that has unfolded within the week. And so he starts talking about a story about some guy named Kenneth Copeland, who's a prosperity gospel pastor. Um, it's not good stuff. And he has this big mega church and how he bought a private jet because he, he got it used. For, he got it from Tyler Perry and uh, how it was just too, too good of a deal to turn down, yada, yada. But anyway, and he talks about how, look, this guy bought this private jet. Like, 
that is hypocritical. You know, we, whenever he was asked how he paid for it, he said, none of your business. Um, and he talks about how, like, Kenneth, Co people like Kenneth Copeland are why people aren't going to church. It's not these cultural issues. It's not, you know, moral decline or whatever, however you want to put it in America. It's people like Kenneth Copeland. I'm going to break this. I'm going to break this phone. I'm just kidding. Um, it is frustrating, though. Anyway, about how that's what's turning people off to religion in America. Um, and while I agree that that dude is a scumbag, it sounds like, like I went to his website, I was looking him up, like, yeah, he seems like the typical kind of nice suit, the guy who would have a bunch of private jets and is like, it's for the Lord, you know, it seems like that. Like, I agree, let's criticize those people. But I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense in the context of this story. He says, all of which brings me back to the decline of religion. While it is fair to wonder what our elected officials are doing with our tax dollars to solve the issue, I do wonder what our religious figures are doing with their tax-exempt status regarding the issue. There are several mega-churches within Los Angeles County alone with weekly attendances well over $5,000, which begs the question, how is it possible that 60,000 are living in the streets while so many self-identified Christian evangelicals are worshiping in buildings large enough to house that many parishioners? When you watch the video of a man like Copeland justifying his lavish lifestyle of rampant homelessness, it becomes a bit easier to understand why so many Americans have decided not to be a part of organized religion. And so, well, there's a couple things here. So first off, the story he's talking about, Kenneth Copeland, even though it was also, there was a piece done in the news whenever Granderson wrote this in that same month, um, that's from 2015, so it wasn't a recent thing. But, okay, fair enough. Bad is bad, whether it's 2015, 2019. Okay, whatever. Um, but I looked it up, and helping out with in Los Angeles or just California more generally, the vast majority of the biggest ones are religious organizations. And so there are, it's not all of them, not all of them, but of the private charities working within LA to solve this, or at least try to help, a huge portion of them are religious groups, are supported by churches, are supported by religious organizations. Dude, there's even, whenever I was looking this up, there are freaking Yelp pages for homeless shelters in Los Angeles. Like, that in, that should be a joke. Like, who is making Yelp pages for homeless shelters? That is crazy to me, but okay, regardless. So here's the, here's the other main problem that I have with what he's saying here. So he talks about, like, well, people look at the homeless homeless crisis here in L.A., and they look at this Copeland guy, and they're like, that's why I'm not going to go to church, because he's buying planes instead of helping these folks. Kenneth Copeland's church is in Fort Worth, Texas. That guy is in Fort Worth. Like, he is not associated with the Los Angeles homeless crisis. Like, it's a bait-and-switch. Now, if Granderson was speaking in the broadest sense, I would agree that, hey, generally... One of the reasons that people might be cynical about religion or Christianity or whatever is people like this guy, and that's why they're not going to go to church, and that's why you might see a decline of things broadly around the country. But that's not what the article's about. The article's about L.A.'s homelessness crisis, and he juxtaposes this scumbag in Texas with the homeless crisis in L.A. This dude buying a plane in Texas... Anyway... So he concludes this story with, you know, what I would say, he takes a grain of truth and he muddles it with a pretty big, like, serving of irony and cognitive dissonance. He says, 
Perhaps instead of looking outward for reasons why people's hearts have moved away from the church, maybe the church should spend time looking inward. This week, the issue of homelessness is about what's going on in LA, but isn't it a problem around the country? Like, okay, that's not the story you wrote, dude. You wrote about, in LA, Skid Row is everywhere. Like, trying to bring in some one dude in Texas without looking at any good things going on. Like, it's a bait and switch, and it's dishonest. Uh, anyway, but then this, this is how it ends. He says, there also isn't a major urban hub without a church resting on prime real estate, collecting thousands in non-tax donations and tithes each week. The government needs to be a better steward of our taxes. I can stop to help more as well. Okay, fair enough. That's good. Um, but I would argue that the self-proclaimed body of Christ has leaders who use a serious could use leaders who could use a serious tune-up as well. So let me get this straight. The story starts about how LA, the the government of the city of LA, squandered six hundred and twenty million dollars. And the conclusion here is to take issue with thousands of dollars collected by churches without ever even addressing what that money being spent on with the exception of one guy in Texas? Like, really? Like, that, that is so crazy to me. Like, again, I was looking it up in Chicago, in Atlanta, in St. Louis, in San Francisco. Like, the, the organizations that are doing some of the most good to help people there are private religious organizations. Not all of them, but that is the bulk of them. And so it's ridiculous to use this one scumbag in Texas buying a plane and just basically only giving some throwaway lines to, well, the government could be better with, you know, this $620 million, but really it's about these churches, isn't it? Isn't, isn't it about them? Let's talk about them. Um, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, on this, but there is a, there's a book called The Tragedy of American... It's a little bit older, um, but what, what the book is about uh, is... Basically, it, it sums up the history of private charities and then when the government got involved to have tax-funded charities and welfare programs in the country and how previously there were charities, like, and they were almost all run by churches. You know, it goes back to the 1800s. And basically what they would, ha they would say, there were two categories. They called them the deserving poor and undeserving poor. Now, I hate that term. That's a subjective term. That, that's a matter of opinion. Um, but one thing you could call it is maybe like the willing poor and the unwilling poor and saying that basically it's who is trying to actively get out of their circumstances and who is kind of just okay being there and is just trying to you know take take the food and stuff and not really do anything to get out of it and what they found is that these groups in the past the private ones they would tell people like, look, here, we're going to give you resources. We're going to help you. This needs to be a temporary situation for you, though. And whenever gov when city, city governments realize that like, oh, we can, um, we can look really good. We can get votes by saying, look how we're helping people. Then they started doing their own tax-funded welfare programs and like soup kitchens and stuff. But they didn't put any requirements on it. And so if you're a, a homeless person, you know, and Granderson says something true here. He says... Look, homeless people are homeless for a variety of reasons. It's not some monolithic group. But generally speaking, if you're a homeless person in that situation, like this charity wants things from me in re in exchange for food and service, doesn't want things from me, like which one are you going to pick? You're going to go to the one that's not asking anything of you. And so that put a lot of the private ones out of business because 
the way private charities and government funded ones like welfare, you know, service organizations works very differently because a private charity gets funds based on success. If they say, look, this is our stated mission, donate to us, and they can't show that they're being successful in that, they don't get donations and they go under. And that's what happened. There were fewer and fewer people going to these private charities and private like welfare organizations. And so they folded. People weren't, well, you're not really doing anything. So that left basically just the government run charities and stuff. And whereas in the private ones, they need to be able to show we're successful at our goals in order to get donations, the ones that are tax funded don't. They, in, if anything, the argument is always, oh, we didn't have enough money, we need more tax dollars, then we'll be successful. But regardless, they don't like loot, get their budget cut and just dissolve the organization if they fail or if they're failing or if they see a 16% increase in homelessness after spending 620. So we need more money, we need more funds, and then we'll be successful. So anyway, the, back to what Grant Granderson was saying here is, well, it's really the churches. Like they've done studies about if you have like one dollar and it goes to a private charity, not not just a church, but any private charity, and to government-run charities, and the ones that go to government-run charities, it's about a three-to-one ratio of the money, or the parts of that dollar that go to paying for the overhead, paying for the bureaucracy, and about a one like a one-quarter ratio, one-quarter of it goes to actually helping people and providing services. And the opposite is true in the private charities because they need to be as efficient as possible because, again, they have to be successful. Whereas the bureaucracies are actually incentivized to fail at least on some level so that they can continue to have their nice government job. Um, this isn't just in welfare programs. This is in a lot of government bureaucracies. I'm not just picking on these. Um, but regardless, the point is, is that if you really are going to take a look at this problem, which Granderson really clearly didn't, it there's not even a contest. And I'll put some links um, in the comments about like some of the studies they've done on the effectiveness of $1 in a government welfare program versus $1 in a private charity. Some of these private charities have got it down to like 90% efficiency, where like 10% pays for the program, 90% goes to help the people. And the government programs generally are about a 25 to 30% makes it to helping people and about 70, 75% has to pay for the program. So they're not very efficient. Um, regardless, like that's, that's its own tangent. Um, I guess the main takeaway, because uh, I got to hop off here, but the main takeaway for me is I just I see these I see these types of pieces all the time, and the cognitive dissonance is like so crazy to me, like that he would walk he would re open this article about L.A. is squandering 620 million dollars, and all they did was increase the homeless population up to 60,000, and every year this happens over there. It's like every year they spend more and more money on like the homeless problem and more homeless people come. Like it's it's like clockwork. It's like that their increase in budget for homelessness leads to more homelessness just like December leads to Christmas. Like you can say that the fact that Granderson here focuses on church is crazy to me. And by the way, I agree with his criticism that mega churches and prosperity gospel pastors do like turn people off to Christianity and religion generally. I think they're off-putting, I think they're stupid, and they're counterproductive, like I don't like them. And so I agree with his criticism. And I also agree with his criticism of the church generally in terms of their generosity. Even though they are generous, like there's still a problem there. And you have to be willing to challenge even like ideals or people you might agree with. Like give less per capita 
than they did during the Great Depression. Like, that is crazy to me. We are at the wealthiest time in American history, and Christians give less per capita than they did during the Great Depression. So that's a legitimate criticism. I'm cool with that. But the fact that he barely even criticizes the government of L.A., like, for wasting his tax dollars on this and focuses on the church is nuts to me. Like, the... And the idea that we're not even going to look at what is this money going to, $620 million. To give, to give a, a bit of a reference for what $620 million is, that is almost as much as Avengers Infinity War made opening weekend globally. Like, that's how much L.A. spent on the uh, homeless problem, was as much as Avengers Infinity War made globally opening weekend. It's almost half of their city's entire annual budget for their whole police department. Like, it is crazy how much money that is, and they're only getting more homelessness. And it's like, oh, it's maybe like if you incentivize something, if you make it easy for someone to do something, they're gonna do more of it. You know, like, like Bernie Sanders wants to give LA, he's like, let's buy them all a house. It's like, really? Like, I want a house, man. Like, why would, why should everyone get a house? Like, I picked up people who were Hitchhike. I used to pick up hitchhikers all the time until my wife was like, hey, you need to stop picking up hitchhikers because it's kind of terrifying. But I picked up this couple one time who they were like real deal, like all lo loved living life on the road. Like their clothes were all patchwork, like those uh, like Precious Moments coloring books, you know, where there's had the little hobo kids, which I don't know why there was coloring books with hobo kids. But anyway, like they, they had, it was all patchwork. They were passing this Mountain Dew bottle back and forth, and I found out later that it was almost completely filled with Everclear, and they were super drunk. Um, but they were like real deal homeless, and they, they that's what they did. They liked doing drugs. He was her road dog. Uh, they taught me all this vernacular. They told me stories about how her old road dog was talking about Machete Mike, and he was like, hey man, Machete Mike's been dead for two years, why are you bringing his name up like you know him, I'm gonna take you to the curb. And so he had to fight this dude, and then he put that guy down and busted his teeth out, and then he won her heart, and she was now with him, and he was her road dog. I don't know what it's called for her part of it, but anyway. So I've met some real deal, like, I like to do this crazy stuff, homeless people. No, obviously, that's not everyone in L.A., obviously. But I'm just saying, like, you want to give those people a house? Like, seriously? So that's just crazy to me. And so the point is, is, like, we have to ask questions about policy and say, what is it incentivizing? What is it disincentivizing? Like, look at every individual. Look at the data. I say this all the time. Like, let's look. start with where's the money going, what's it paying for, what's it incentivizing, etc. And then go from there and not just create these sweeping policies to just throw money at it, you know, not put everyone in a group, just like not every homeless person is, you know, road dog and the, the patchwork girl. I keep pointing like this because he was in the back seat and she was in the passenger seat. And cause I remember she had like, she was wearing a cutoff and had like crazy hairy armpits and she had like a knife on her hip as well. And I kind of respected the knife, but I was like really terrified of them generally. Anyway, like, not every homeless person is that, just like not every Christian or every church is Kenneth Copeland. And so, yeah, you have to look at people as individuals and be willing to challenge, okay, the policies, even if they're coming from your team. Um, anyway, like I can easily go on tangents like uh, about this type of stuff. Anytime people don't apply nuance to something, it just frustrates me generally. Um, 
But I'll leave it at that. All I'm going to say is that whenever you're supporting a policy or supporting a politician who's advocating for a policy, just think about what is that incentivizing, what is it disincentivizing, and will it actually obtain the goals that it's setting out to obtain? And if it won't, then are you willing to say, okay, that didn't work. That does not work. Let's try something different. We might need to try something radically different because this is really not working. Um, so anyway, be willing to challenge your own team, being willing to challenge your own ideology, um, even if it's uncomfortable. Uh, anyway, so I'll put a link to the piece um, in the comments and some of the other stuff as well. So anyway, all right, that's it. I didn't get to the main story I wanted to talk about, but that's okay. Uh, hope you guys all have a nice day, and I will check you later. Thanks for watching.